I'm glad that you're with us. I uh, just noticed here on the, the Facebook Live that we have a couple uh, worshiping with us from Utah this morning. Of course, the Johnsons are out there, so um, glad that they're with us this morning, and you as well. And we are uh, studying in our Life of Christ class. We are in lesson number 73, if you're following along in the, the outline, or if you just want to follow along in the, uh, the Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 13. Uh, Starting in verse 22, we'll finish Luke 13, and then we'll get right into Luke uh, chapter 14 uh, for tonight, or for this class, and then also uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, Again, we are stressing this next few uh, lessons are going to be during the ministry of Christ in the Perean area, and I did not leave the map up here this morning, but I did have that up Wednesday uh, if you were here with us Wednesday, we sort of looked at where this area of Perea was. It was uh, this, this uh, large, massive area on the east side of the Jordan River. And, of course, that was sort of the area where the, uh, the Israelites, before they went into the land of Canaan to take it back in the book of Joshua, it's sort of that area where they had gathered together and those two and a half tribes said, you know what, we like this land so much, uh, we want to stay here. Uh, Moses told them, that's fine, but you're going to go into the land with us and you're going to fight our enemies. And once we have conquered everything, then you can go back and stay here and, um, you know, and build homes and lives. And so that was that area. And that's where Jesus is at in these next uh, few lessons. He's in Perea uh, before he's going to go to Jerusalem. Uh, but before we jump into the text this morning, let's just kind of review where we were uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, if you recall, uh, Jesus... Uh, had just healed this woman who uh, was, the Bible says she was uh, bent for 18 long years. She was bent double. Uh, remember, she had a, a, an evil spirit that had uh, taken her over for 18 long years. And Jesus healed her. But do you remember what the problem was? The yeah, the Sabbath, right. Uh, he healed her on the Sabbath. And that, of course, is a big no-no to the Pharisees. Uh, you can't work on the, on the Sabbath day. And this was, we recall, this was the fifth time that Jesus had performed a, a miracle or, and or the disciples were um, questioned about them working on the Sabbath day. So this is something that has come up over and over in our studies already. But Jesus, you know, he refuted them easily by saying, hey, look, you know, if you... Uh, take your ox or your donkey to get water on the Sabbath day. You don't qualify that as work. But here I am uh, saving the life of this daughter of Abraham. You know, she's one of them. She's a Jew. I'm saving her from this affliction that she had on the Sabbath day. And you're all up in arms because I'm breaking, you know, your, your man-made traditions. And so uh, we noticed that lesson. And then, of course, Jesus, right after that, he taught uh, two quick parables uh, about the kingdom, again, the mustard seed parable, and also the, the leaven, you know, this idea that the, the kingdom of God is going to start off small, but it's going to spread big. And uh, again, we've seen Jesus teach these things uh, back in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So he's already, this is, you know, lessons that he's already taught different groups, but now that he's in Perea uh, speaking to a different group, he, he's got uh, these lessons he wants to give them. Uh, but the, the main lesson that we really focused in on was we switched over to the book of John, and we noticed that it was at the Feast of Dedication. Um, we know this better today as Hanukkah. 
So, of course, they, they didn't refer to it as Hanukkah in the scriptures, uh, but this was that feast that was going on. And so Jesus shows up here, and the, the Jews are asking him, you know, tell us plainly, who are you? Are you the Christ? Now, we notice that Jesus has not specifically came out and said in a public fashion, I am the Christ. He's told his disciples. Uh, he told the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, but he has not publicly stated this, uh, obviously because it's not his time yet. Uh, the Jews want him to state it publicly, uh, not because of any good motives, but because they want to trap him. Right? They want to catch him blaspheming. They want to say he just you know, referred to himself as God. And so, again, he logically defeats their argument. Right? Uh, he used scripture, and uh, he, go he goes back to the book of Psalms and quotes a, a scripture there about referring to uh, these individuals in the Jewish nation as gods, a little G's. And he said, listen, if, uh, you know, if you referred to them as gods, but here I am saying I am the son of God, um, you know, what's the difference? But again, they were just trying to catch him as they have been over and over and over again. So all of those events took place right before he heads into Perea. Um, this, mo this morning, uh, as we begin Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22, uh, this is where we believe his, his uh, teaching begins here in Perea. And so we'll look at these events. But again, as the curriculum likes to get our minds working, uh, it asks a series of questions here at the beginning. Uh, because the lessons really are going to be about humility and selflessness. That's what Jesus has uh, first to teach the, the people here. And so the questions they ask here is, you know, we need to think. Do we focus solely on the failures of others? Or can we see our own too? Uh, do we look down on others? Or do we consider others better than ourselves? Uh, do we have to prove ourselves right? Or are we willing to be wrong? You know, that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? That's one I know I struggle with, and maybe you do as well. Uh, are we upset when we're overlooked? Or do you rejoice at others when they're lifted up? Right? So that's sort of going to be the theme of this morning's lesson you know, when I was thinking about these, I was thinking, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how many, I don't know, is hockey a big thing here in Kentucky? I mean, there's no hockey team really around, no. They've got some head shaking, no. Uh, I used to watch hockey all the time. Of course, uh, I was a huge Detroit Red Wings fan uh, living in Michigan. Loved Detroit, especially when they were good back in the, the late 90s when they were winning Stanley Cups. And I loved watching them. I don't watch hockey too much anymore, but I still like to watch the Stanley Cup playoffs, especially the, you know, the, the, the final round, the championship round, uh, because uh, there's something uh, special about those elimination games that happen. When a team's about ready to win the cup, uh, there's something special about those games. And you know, it, when I look back at, or when I think about those games, you know, there's a lot of humility and selflessness that are shown because uh, if you recall when a team wins the Stanley Cup championship what go what happens they're you know they're throwing their gear up in the air right they're, they're excited they're hugging each other and uh, they do that for you know five to ten minutes the other team is still on the ice they're over in the corner watching this happen because there's this tradition uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs in the NHL that after the game, you go and shake the other team's hand, right? You, you line up 
and one team will come this way, the other team will come this way, and you shake and greet uh, the other team's hand. And, you know, that shows a lot of humility for the team that just lost the, the championship game to, again, stay there out on the ice, watch the other team celebrate, but then line up and uh, say, you know, well done. You know, we, we teach that in kids' sports, you know, but sort of when you get to the professional level, uh, they don't do it as much, but it's always, um, you know, encouraging to see that, especially, you know, in the NHL, again, hockey, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs of watching those teams congratu- congratulate each other after the end of the season. And again, you know, if I'm on that losing team, you know, what am I going through, you know, to sit there and w- watch, but then also to, you know, congratulate them. You know, you, you've got to humble yourself to do that. So uh, Jesus, he's, he's crossing, he crosses over to the Jordan, again, into this area, Priya. Uh, he's not going to be in Jerusalem until it, it's time to make that uh, journey back, uh, to enter back into Jerusalem, uh, to, of course, enter that last week of his life uh, that we often refer to as the Passion Week. Uh, so we're going to focus and on this, this, uh, this time in Jesus' life. And it's very interesting that uh, there are a lot of parables Jesus gives in Perea. Uh, some of the probably the most famous parables that Jesus gives, uh, we don't necessarily think, or maybe we've never thought about that, but he's giving these uh, parables in Perea, uh, in this area. Uh, of course, Luke chapter 15. You know, what's Luke chapter 15 all about? The lost... Yeah, there's three things that are, there's three parables he gives about the lost, the lost sheep and the lost coin, and of course, the prodigal son, the lost son. Uh, That's probably one of Jesus' most famous parables that he gives. That happens in Perea, Uh, Luke chapter 16, when he he gives the parable of the unrighteous steward. So these are all parables that we're going to cover coming up in the next few weeks. But first, before uh, we get to those parables, we're going to deal with a couple of things. So let's begin in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. And we'll notice it says, uh, And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Uh, And and he said to them, uh, so Jesus gets this question. Right? He often gets these questions by the crowd, and this question comes up, are there only a few who are going to be saved? Uh, you remember uh, we just talked about uh, at the beginning of Luke chapter 13, he gives the, the, the parable of the fig tree, and he's talking about repentance and, and that aspect. Uh, you know, maybe that person is bringing that up. You know, maybe they're responding to Jesus because he had just taught that uh, you know, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. And so somebody here brings up the question again. Uh, are there just a few who are going to be saved? You know, again, this is something that Jesus taught on on the Sermon on the Mount, right? The, the, the narrow path versus the broad path. And um, is that a question that we get from time to time? You know, someone... Um, talks to us about our faith and, and they find out that we worship, uh, you know, with the ch- w- at the Church of Christ. Uh, you know, the, somebody uh, from time to time will point out, well, hey, aren't you the ones that only believe that, you know, you're going to heaven? 
Have you ever been asked that before? Yeah, I, I, think, I think we probably all encountered that. You know, and, uh, you know, Jesus in his teaching was pretty narrow, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a path that leads to destruction and it's broad, but there's also the path that's narrow and that leads to life. And so he's following up on that, right? Uh, <clears throat> he's following up on that idea. Look at verses 24 through 30. Uh, he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are uh, from death, or excuse me, from, depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some uh, are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. So again, you know, Jesus uh, begins that question, uh, are there a few who are going to be saved? He begins that by telling us there that, again, salvation is difficult and, and narrow, right? He said, what's that word that he uses there in verse uh, 24 of how we are to enter in? What's your translation say, the, the very first word in verse 24? Strive? Is that what everyone says? Strive to enter in, right? It's not a uh, sort of a passively seek me, passively seek salvation, but you have to strive, right? You have to agonize. You have, it's going to be difficult, but you need to strive uh, to find it. And then he says, uh, some who think they will be saved uh, won't be. Those who delay, right? Those who come to the master's door wanting to get in uh, right now, but he's going to say, he's going to shut the door and say, I never knew you, right? Uh, those who delay, those who passively seek, those who are delaying. And then he even mentions uh, there, that, which probably had to be quite an insult to them, right? Remember, he's talking to those of Jewish descent. And so he says, in that place, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God. You know, that was their desire one day was to be reunited with those, right? Abraham, the uh, father Abraham, and, and Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. But then he says, but you yourselves will be thrown out. And, and then he says, and there will be those who come from the east and west and from north and south, and they'll recline at the table. Well, who's he referring to there? Gentiles. Yeah, the Gentiles, right. Uh, you, you are a Jew, you are a child of God by blood, right? But you're going to be thrown out, and these others, uh, these Gentiles, uh, they're going to be the ones that are going to be reclining uh, with God at the table uh, at that time, right? What an insult to, for them to hear that. Uh, and, and there are so many who are seeking 
right? Seeking God on their own terms, right? And so uh, let's finish uh, these few verses up, 31 through 35, because we really want to focus in on chapter 14. Uh, But Jesus says here in verse 31, Just at that time, some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Uh, Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when, the, when, when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So uh, the Pharisees tell Jesus, you know, leave. Right? But they give, him an, they give him a reason why. They said, Herod's seeking to kill you. Get out of here. Uh, do you think that they were being, uh, you think they were concerned with his safety? No? Yeah, we're probably not too sure. You may be, I mean, there are some Pharisees we see as a positive in, or in a positive light in Scripture. Uh, so maybe, maybe they were concerned with Jesus' safety. Maybe they knew what Herod had done to John the Baptist, how they had, uh, or how he had John the Baptist beheaded. And so maybe they were concerned with Jesus, uh, but maybe they weren't. Again, maybe they just want him out of the area. Uh, but whatever the reason was, they told Jesus to leave. Uh, but his response was to them clear, right? Uh, go and tell that fox. Right? Jesus refers to Herod as a fox. Go tell him that uh, I, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I reach my goal. Right? I'm not going to stop, Jesus says. I'm going to keep going uh, today, tomorrow, and you know, again, uh, he's going to uh, get things done uh, because he's got to finish uh, what he has started where? It's Jerusalem, right? That's where, that's where it has to take place. That's where uh, he's got to accomplish his mission. And, you know, this, you see that in verse 34. You know, we, I just talked about that in my sermon this morning. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right, that double meaning there. He's, uh, uh, there's some sorrow. There's some maybe frustration in his voice. You know, Jerusalem, the, the home of the Jews. Right, how I wanted to take you all in, like a like a, um, a chicken, or uh, in this case, what's he say? A, a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Right, I wanted to protect you. I wanted to keep you safe, but yet you continue, continue to reject me. And so you can, again, you can see the hint of frustration in his voice when he says that, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And so you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And of course, when's that going to take place? Yeah, uh, that's going to be the the triumphal entry into Jerusalem that's often referred to. uh, uh, We call it Psalms... Palm Sunday, that, that week before his death, that he comes into Jerusalem and people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Hosanna, Hosanna. 
And so let's jump into here into chapter 14 and notice as Jesus begins teaching again in, in many of these parables, really uh, this first lesson here this morning, how he wants to emphasize um, again, humility and selflessness. So um, he's going to eat with another Pharisee, right? This isn't the first time this has happened. Uh, we saw this all the way back in Luke 7. He had a lunch, a meal with a Pharisee in Galilee, you know, again, all the way up in Israel. Uh, in chapter 11, he had lunch with a Pharisee down in Judea, and now he's in Perea, and now he's having lunch with a, uh, with a Pharisee again. And this is going to be the last time we read of a lunch with a Pharisee, a meal with a Pharisee. But let's begin in uh, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. What were the Jews' feelings towards the Sabbath day? No work? Was it a special day to them? Yeah, I, we go all the way back to uh, Exodus chapter uh, 20. Of course, this is where um, Moses is given you know, the, the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, uh, he, he tells the people, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female <laughs> servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Right? This, this is a holy day to the people. It is a holy day. It is a special day um, where they were not to work. But of course, as we've discussed in many of these classes, uh, the Pharisees have taken that to the extreme, uh, building these rules, these hedge laws around uh, that idea of, of not working on the Sabbath day, binding those rules, those regulations on the people as if they were a scripture, as if they were as just important as God's word. Again, they were doing that because they didn't want uh, people to, uh, you know, to fail at what God had told them not to do. But of course, they went too far. Right? They went too far. They built these laws. They made these laws binding on the people. Uh, is Jesus against rules? He's not against rules. Uh, of course, uh, you know, scriptures tell us in Romans uh, that we are under grace. Right? Not the law of Moses. We are under grace now. But that doesn't mean that there are still uh, rules. It doesn't mean that Jesus is throwing out all rules. Right? Uh, 
But as Jesus is beginning to you know, move towards uh, the new covenant that can only go into effect with his blood, right? And he's got these new teachings uh, for the people. You know, the, the, the Sabbath day is one of those uh, that is that one going to be taken over into the New Testament? It's not, is it? And so, uh, again, this is one of those teachings that keeps coming up over and over again. We've, we just discussed this, that uh, they have this hang-up about working on the Sabbath day. Now, there, there's a man, we're told, uh, that's at this dinner party. And he has uh, what Scripture refers to as dropsy. What is dropsy? Okay, yeah, fluid retaining. Um, <clears throat> you know, usually this happens, you know, right in the feet, in the ankles, uh, legs. Uh, is there a more modern term that we use today? Yeah, yeah, that's what it uh, normally is associated with, is congested heart failure or uh, maybe uh, the kidneys malfunctioning or whatever. But here's this man who's at this dinner party uh, with this Pharisee is that a coincidence, or do you think this is another setup? Yeah, probably, right. Uh, this is probably another one of these stage dinner events, uh, the, that this man is here just to see what Jesus would do, right? Uh, because uh, it's the Sabbath day. Here's Jesus at this dinner party. Here's a man who uh, is suffering from an ailment. And they want to see, what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to do? And uh, it's actually, it's Jesus who is the one who speaks up, right? Um, they're silent. But he speaks up there in verse 3, and he says to the people, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of the man, and of course, he healed him and sent him away. And then again, he uh, says basically what he said in our last lesson, uh, but he gives a different illustration. But he says, if you had a son or, a, or an ox fall into a well on a Sabbath day, are you just going to leave them there? You're not, are you? But wait a minute. You know, if we go back to Exodus chapter 20, it says we can't work on the Sabbath day. Um, so uh, Jesus is trying to get them to understand that their, their, their thinking is flawed, right? Because we all understand it. We would... We would be compassionate individuals and we would help our son out of that well or we would help that ox out of that well. And so, again, why can't I, as the son of God, heal this man of this condition just because it's the Sabbath day? Right. And so, again, they are speechless at this. They um, they just can't uh, understand, again, you know, where does he get this authority from? Uh, who is he? And, uh, and again, we mentioned uh, the word Sabbath. You know, it was brought up three times in this passage. Again, the Sabbath was important for them. Uh, but they, uh, there in verse 1, says they, they were watching him closely. Right? They were hypercritical of him. Watching him closely, trying to catch him. Do you know of people who are like that? Who like to uh, watch you or... Uh, to maybe pick at you a little bit, or, yeah. Um, there was a preacher who uh, talked about how 
when he gave you know, one of his first lessons, or when he was a lot younger, that a, a, a young girl came up to him after the lesson and she brought up this notebook to him and said, you know, I wrote down everything you said grammatically incorrect or misquoted and she showed it to him. Well, how do you think that made that young preacher feel? You know, I'd probably run out the door if you guys did that to me every Sunday morning, right? Because I know I've said some things that grammatically weren't correct or, or maybe mispronounced a word or two. Right, but that, that's the idea behind the Pharisees. They were looking to catch him, right? They, they wanted to watch him closely to make sure um, to, to catch him in what they're doing. But uh, it seems that, you know, we can do that as well. You know, we, we, uh, we can fall into the trap of maybe, again, critiquing uh, what's being said from the pulpit or, or, you know, maybe the songs being led or the prayers being led. Uh, but God wants us to focus on ourselves first, right? Focus uh, watch what we're doing and make sure our heart and attitude are in the right state of mind and not others. And so uh, they were being hypercritical. And we also, again, noticed that they were being hypocritical. Uh, again, you know, if your son or your ox fell into that well, of course you're going to help them. Uh, but uh, this man who has dropsy, you're not going to let me allow me to heal him. And so uh, he's, he's challenging their uh, thinking uh, over and over again. Uh, let's look at this last parable here this morning. This is really more of the, the meat of the lesson, uh, starting in verse... Uh, let, let's break it down a little bit. Actually, he's got two. Actually, let me back that up. He's got three parables in a row of, of feast, of a meal. Uh, we're going to look at the first two, and then uh, Wednesday evening we'll look at the last one because that one's a little bit bigger. Uh, but let's look at the first one here in verses 7 through 11. Uh, he's focusing in on the people at this, uh, at this dinner. And so it says in verse 7, And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Okay, so uh, Jesus here, he, he's noticing how the people at this dinner party are sort of fighting for the best seats at the party, right? They want to be closest to the host. Why, why do you want to be closest to the host? It's a place of honor uh, in that culture. Maybe, maybe today, too. I don't, I'm not really uh, sure too much about that. But in that culture, uh, if you wanted to be someone of, of importance, uh, you sat as close as you could to the host. But what's going to happen if the host looks at you and says, uh, Sir, uh, someone more important than you has uh, just showed up. I need you to move to an empty chair. How are you going to feel? Crushed, Crushed aren't you? Uh, you're going to feel uh, humiliated. You're going to feel uh, disgraced. And so, you know, Jesus simply says, you know, when, when you go to a thing like this, show humility. Start off at the lowest place. 
and have the, the, the host you know, invite you to come sit next to him. Don't come and sit next to the host uh, thinking you're you know, this big bad uh, guy that, uh, that's number one, right? But go and sit in the lowest place. Be invited to sit in the, the best place rather than uh, having to be humiliated uh, like that. Um, how can we do that today? I know we're running quickly out of time, but can you think of examples of how we can humble ourselves in that way today? I can give you, I guess, a quick example. You know, so one of, and this isn't, you know, trying to make myself look great or anything like that, but one of the things I like to do is, you know, where, whether it's here or at, you know, another position or, you know, even at a grocery store is, you know, I'll usually park furthest or as far away as I can um, just because, you know, maybe there's someone who uh, needs to have that parking spot, you know, a little bit closer. You know, uh, that kind of, uh, that kind of ticks Angela a little bit because, you know, we might be driving through the parking lot and there's a parking lot right at the door and I'll pass by it and she'd be like, you know, because she doesn't want to walk that far. But uh, I, I tend to like to park in the back, you know, because in my mind, I'm thinking, OK, maybe someone else can uh, use that spot who maybe uh, needs that, you know, closer entrance a little bit closer uh, than I do. Is there anything else that you can think of? Nothing. Well, I'm afraid you mentioned the potluck because the food get cold by the time we somebody going through first. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing, the right? I mean, I think the tradition here is to let those with birthdays or anniversaries go through first and then visitors also in that mix and then others just kind of stand back and wait. Yeah. Somebody's got to go first. Right, someone's got to go first. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like dominoes. When the first one goes, you tap the others to follow. Yep. So, I mean, that, that's always, when I think of that example. Yeah, yep. I definitely thought of that one as well. So, again, Jesus says, humble yourself. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you will be the one exalted. And so let's look at the, the last one uh, that we're going to look at this morning, verses 12 through 14. And now he's going to turn his attention to the host. And he says, and he went and, and he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Uh, you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What do you get out, according to Jesus, when you host a dinner party for your friends and, and neighbors and uh, people that are like you. An invite back. Yeah, an invite back, right. Um, it's not, there's nothing wrong with having those types of uh, dinner parties, but uh, that's, how, that's the only way you're going to be rewarded is they're going to invite you to theirs. Right? It's sort of like at Christmas time, 
you know, when you're, you sort of feel obligated to give a gift to maybe somebody in your family and they, they give you like a $50 gift card to Walmart and you give them a $50 gift card to Walmart, you know, uh, you're just exchanging uh, gift cards and uh, it's kind of like, you know, why, why do it, you know? But uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus says here, um, when you host a dinner, you know, try to, try to host, host those who are less fortunate, Right? Those who can't put on a dinner, dinner party. Those who can't repay you. Um, I want to give you a couple quick examples. Uh, at the Carnes uh, Church of Christ, where we went uh, in Knoxville uh, during our time in preaching school, uh, they would have this event uh, twice a year. And it was called For Forever His Day. And the preacher wife was, the preacher's wife, Steve, uh, you know Steve Higginbotham, right? Uh, his wife, Kim, would put this on. Uh, twice a year there, uh, f forever his day. And it was a day where they invited all of the special needs children in the area of Knoxville to come to sort of a day camp and give them a day to, that was just for them. And so like, like it was amazing that uh, you know, you'd have hundreds of volunteers from the church would show up on the Saturday and they would give uh, these special needs kids this great day of you know, letting them uh, see, you know, your love for them and, you know, give them all of these uh, different games and events to do throughout the day. And, you know, that's, when I, when I think of this verse, I, th I thought of that immediately of, you know, um, looking out for individuals like that. Uh, you know, we do that sort of similar here with the clothing closet, right? That uh, there are those who may be a little bit um, less uh, fortunate than us, and we offer them some clothing to come in, and uh, if they need clothing, to come and get those things, and, uh, you know, so we, we do that as well. Again, there are a lot of many different opportunities we can, but here, here's the, here is the emphasis that Jesus is getting through uh, to them, right? You can host a dinner with your friends, or you can host a dinner with those who are less fortunate than you, and do you think there's going to be different results after each of those events, are you going to feel a little bit better about yourself, uh, one versus the other? Probably, right? Uh, Jesus says we will, right? And so, um, is there one group that's probably going to be less likely to give thanks? You know, it's probably that one that, you know, we're just, again, returning favors for. And so, uh, Jesus, again, I, Humble yourselves, be selfless. And so that's how we're going to notice here this morning how he begins uh, this ministry in Perea with these parables. Again, we'll uh, continue on in Luke chapter 14, uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, appreciate uh, your um, comments here this morning. And uh, I will go ahead and close us out in prayer at this time.